1: Visit livenation.com slash concertweek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and
2: two-door cinema club.
1: What's going on and welcome into the Tuesday edition of the Pelicans podcast presented, presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson. Hope everyone had a great weekend. Hope you all continue to practice social distancing. Beautiful day here in the Crescent City, so hope you're able to get outside. Today we're going to recap episodes three and four of The Last Dance, which aired on ESPN on Sunday night. i have enjoying it. I know my guests today have certainly enjoyed it as well. Television voice of the Pelicans, Joel Myers. Radio voice of the Pelicans, Todd Graff and Amy. And Pelicans.com writer, Jim Ikenhoff. Well, let's go down the line and check in with everyone first. Joel, first off, how are you holding up right now?
3: Holding up well. And positive signs when we heard that camps you know, and facilities might be open by May 8th. At least get the guys back into the gym and any form of workout whether it's one on one uh whatever it might be uh, that's good news by me
1: no doubt what about you jim how are you holding
0: up right now not bad i mean i think trying to find some positives here in this really terrible situation i think i've said this a few times lately that i think the one the one uh positive thing for me has been just the you mentioned it actually the weather is you forget how awesome the weather here is in the spring because in March and April and hopefully deep into April, some years, we're so busy with the season that it's been, it's been cool to just be able to enjoy that a little bit. And I know the governor talked about yesterday, how it's important for people to get outside and still be safe about it. But um, that part of it has has been kind of um, refreshing. I'm not sure if that's the right word, but it's just, been it's been so um unusual to to actually be able to kind of take a deep breath and just kind of soak in everything and just uh have time to think about stuff for me even work-wise it's been so unusual to have time to write and if for people that have been going to the website it's i'm sure you've seen you know some of the stuff that i've been working on it's it's just so so um surreal to actually be able to sit down and in the middle of a season i'm not sure what how you define this but while the season is going on and be able to um, just really sit down and have time to write. So it's just not something I'm used to at all. It's definitely a, a, a new feeling. Yeah. All three of you have been writing on Pelicans.com. Joel
1: Myers with his Q and a on um, the latest edition with PJ Carl. Limisabos out and of course walks of Graf has certainly been something I've been enjoying Graf, How are your walks been? And how are you doing
2: right now? Uh, doing well, Daniel, everybody's okay at the house. Uh, still, you know, uh, my seven-year-old technically is still in school meaning doing lessons every day so uh getting that done in the mornings and then uh you know my wife's working as well uh, uh sometimes at home some in her in her new office on Carrollton uh with with telemed and so that's going okay and and then yeah the walking has been good it's it's helped me uh kind of stay busy kind of stay sane and uh yeah, you know, it's just something I'd be doing anyway, so now I'm trying to bring other people into it, and uh, I've actually gotten some good feedback on it. Some people are actually doing, trying out some of the routes that I've been uh, posting on uh, pelicans.com. So, yeah, it's all going well, man. Good, good to
1: know. Yeah, they've been great, those those walks, and it's good to learn kind of parts of the sea that you really didn't know about with some of these uh, routes that you've been taking, and grab. I'll start with you with um, the Last Dance, you know, we've watched four episodes now. I'm curious with everyone on this panel what their thoughts have been on it overall. Just when you're looking back and watching these, is it bringing more of the nostalgia? Is it more of a, I remember back when I was doing this, that I was watching this dynasty unfold? Or is it more of, wow, I'm actually learning some new stuff that I didn't think I would based on what's going on with this Bulls team?
2: Well, to continue the theme of uh, teaching uh, at home a second grader, I think it's uh, all three. Uh, if you're going multiple choice, mm-hmm. there, uh, Daniel. Um, no, it, it's it's a little bit of everything. I mean, you know, back when Jordan started, I was in, I was in my high school years, and then as they won their first championship, I was just just finishing up college. So, it, it's kind of taking me back to to those times and remembering what was going on then. And then you watch, you know, the actual story unfold and then you're realizing that you were witnessing greatness at the time you just didn't know you were really appreciating it until maybe a few years after but I just think it's been fascinating to watch in every aspect and and just to see his competitiveness and his drive uh at such a at such a young age it's just really been really fun to watch
1: Jim, have you been able to appreciate Michael Jordan more from watching the first four episodes? Are you not really surprised by all this based on what Graf said and his competitiveness that he's had throughout the years that none of this really comes to a surprise to you?
0: No, it hasn't really changed my opinion of him or the way I think about him in terms of his legacy. I mean, I've always believed that he was the greatest player of all time. Um, I think one of the most interesting things of watching the first four episodes that I'm sure we'll get an even bigger um, picture of this as we see the rest of them is just one thing that blows my mind is just the idea that you could win six championships and still have people in the organization be not be content as far as, you know, the general manager wanting to, to um, restart a team that, that is just so hard for me to comprehend. I mean, based on the experiences, that we've had in the NBA where you know you're you're happy to make the playoffs and obviously the goal the ultimate goal is to win a championship it's just hard so hard for me to wrap my mind around that and I think the other uh takeaway I've some of the takeaways I've had is just noticing the difference between media access between now and then I know you you make fun of me sometimes because you say how long I've been here that I've been here forever but it's amazing the difference even between 20 years ago. And now based on some of the behind the scenes stuff that has happened in the, in the um, series so far, as far as just the access that some of the writers got, there was, I was amazed by at the end of game, the, the shot that Jordan made against Cleveland that everyone talks about in 1989, he makes the shot that he gets swarmed on the court by teammates. And there's a guy who actually gets a question into him on the court as Jordan is celebrating and Jordan, answers which was even crazier to me so um I think those are some of the things that I've just been amazed by so far what about you Joel
1: obviously as a broadcaster seeing this unfold sort of what Jim talked about with the media access but just overall um during this time of the NBA with the Bulls (laughs) and their dynasty and the bad boys at the beginning of it and Utah Jazz trying to make a run at the Bulls later on uh how have you enjoyed watching the first four episodes of the last dance
3: well, some of the things that have stood out for me, guys, are the stories behind the scenes that we didn't absolutely know why. Well, whether it was Phil Jackson taking it over for Doug Collins, and then we found out that uh, Doug was not a proponent at the time of Tex Winter, and Jerry Krause was an advocate of Tex Winter. He also, you know, had the foresight to bring in Phil Jackson, and we picked up on that story where Phil was down in uh, Puerto Rico, and then the Albany Patroons, and I knew about that. uh, But as an assistant, always wondered behind the scenes why that was transitioned the way it was. And then we saw the comments by by Michael Jordan. He was was a Doug Collins guy. Well, in this day and age, how often is your generational talent and the, the best player in the league at the time, how often is that guy not consulted? So 20 years later, things have changed dramatically to the point 25 years later, Uh, to the point where Michael Jordan wanted Doug Collins. Jerry Krause didn't care. He replaced him with Phil Jackson because he was a a guy that was in Tex Winter's Corner. And I I knew Tex when he came to L.A. with with Phil Jackson. He was a brilliant basketball mind, a great coach, and actually an unbelievable human being. So um, it's really interesting to see why that decision was made and what led up to it uh, because Michael didn't want to make a change. Michael really appreciated Doug Collins. And all of us that have been around Doug Collins all these years, we appreciate him as well. So behind-the-scenes stories, something like that, that was very interesting to me. There are other developments through the course of it that I've really appreciated as well. Whenever I ran into Michael in the old days and and early in his career, we talk all because, as you guys found out, I guess it was Episodes 1 and 2 when he played on on that day with Danny Ainge. And in the 1986 uh, playoff series against the Boston Celtics, Uh, Michael is competitive in everything he does. So when I'd run into him, it was about the golf game, more than talking basketball. But they've done a really good job uh, to make a long story longer.
1: No doubt about it. It has been certainly enjoyable to watch. Something that stuck out to me during this was seeing the beginning of the Bulls versus the Pistons. And, of course, the Pistons getting best of the Bulls. The first two opportunities in the playoffs and then the Bulls finally overcoming that in the third one with the whole big controversy talking about, you know, the Pistons leaving the court, not shaking their hands. And you've seen reactions reaction since then with Bill Lambeer and Isaiah Thomas and even Michael Jordan just from the documentary. Joel, it's kind of fascinating to watch the rivalry kind of even trickles into today's world uh, based on those teams really didn't, not liking each other. Are you surprised that there's still some animosity towards the two teams even to this day?
3: No, not at all. And uh, it was a different game, it was a different league, and it was a different style of play. And it was deep hatred, not just dislike, deep hatred at that time. So, no, I'm not surprised. Uh, there is still a grudge. I, a, a lot of people wonder, did this drive Michael and did this drive the Bulls to even greater heights because of their dislike of the Pistons? The Pistons obviously made the Bulls better because they were motivated by overtaking the Detroit Pistons. A lot of people forget how good the Pistons were. They didn't play a, a real pleasing style to a lot of people aesthetically. It wasn't beautiful basketball. It was physical basketball. You look at the final scores like 80-75. So uh, the Bulls, even though they don't want to give the Pistons any credit, uh, they were driven by the Pistons to overtake the Pistons, which they finally did. A lot of people forget how the Pistons. Let's face it, they were the bridge because we all, the eight, ten, out of ten years, eight titles were won in the 80s by the Lakers and Celtics. But a lot of people forget about the back-to-back for the bad boys, the Detroit Pistons, and then the Bulls took over. So they're easily forgotten, even as talented as they were, and they were an incredible backboard, Isaiah Thomas and Joe Dumars. So I get a kick out of it. No, I'm not surprised at all in the least. And then the dislike they had for their own general manager, was pretty amazing but whatever it took to band together as a group and then to take a, 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 the back of a teammate like they did was
1: got accepted jim if if this happened during this day and age of basketball where a team walked off the court and i think there have been some instances where maybe a player walked out and seen teams left the bench before the game was over um are we making as much of a big deal out about it as, as we were with this with this bad boys doing it? Or is it something that would be the same way here in this day and age? I
0: I wonder if it actually would be a bigger deal just based on social media and all the people that are arguing back and forth every day about every single topic. I feel like it would be magnified more. I actually don't think – vague memories. I thought that the, the Pistons walking off the court in 91 – Back at the time was a pretty big story, but not nothing that monumental. That like even maybe a week later, people were talking about. But um, the the thing with the Celtics walking off the court against the Pistons, I don't remember that at all. So I I feel like that would have been completely, it would have been it would have been probably ten times magnified because we would have had the next day on every show where people the screaming shows where people yell back at forth back and forth with each other, even when they agree with each other, they have to pretend that they disagree. I feel like we, um, th- those, those incidents would have been blown up to a, a much bigger degree now than I think they were back then.
2: Well, just to kind of jump on that too, Daniel, uh, you know, the the guy who's really taking a lot of heat about all that is not even Bill Lambert. It's been Isaiah Thomas. Mm-hmm. And just to kind of quote Jim with the screaming shows going on right now, you know, Isaiah was on and, and- <laughs> a couple of days ago talking about it. Um, and I, I don't know if he says he, he's regretting it, but what, and and I do remember this, when they walked off at that time, what got Isaiah really in trouble was the fact that he kind of ducked his head and it was like he was kind of sneaking out. I, if there, there was a camera right behind him. And I remember that being the big deal, like he was kind of just... Wow. Kind of sneak off the court and I, and I think that's what really magnified the whole situation and to something that obviously now we're talking about you know almost thirty years ago uh we're still talking about it, and a lot of people point to that moment, and I don't know if you could really deny this is that that is why he was left off the dream team uh the nineteen ninety two uh, Olympic team, of course. And uh, if it was that moment, that's a that's a pretty heady you know, price to pay uh for something that, you know, at the time Isaiah didn't think was a big deal at all.
1: Todd, we've talked about this throughout the season about rivalries in the NBA in this day and age and they're pretty much non existent right now. We've talked about me and imagine if the Grizzlies and Pelicans start creating a rivalry based on the young talent on both teams. Um, it seems like this day and age is more player versus player rivalry, if that's even the case. But are we going to get to the point where we see these types of rivalries like Detroit and Chicago and back when it was Celtics and Lakers so much? Do you think we'll get back to that, where there are teams that really truly hate each other?
2: That, that's a good question. I mean, the thing the thing that builds rivalries to me, and this is in all sports, is continuity. It, it's it's the same players on the same teams year after year, and they're competing year after year uh, for, for division titles or, or conference titles. And, you know, in, in today's world of sports with, with free agency, and you don't know where guys are, are going to be year after year. That's what I think builds rivalries. Uh, I mean, when you had those teams going at it and the Bulls and the Pistons and the Celtics, it was the same team every single year. So you know, uh, what's the old saying? Familiarity breeds contempt. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, th- those guys were just, they were so competitive against each other, and they were playing against each other for such high stakes year after year. I, I think it's just a a, a natural that you're going to start to dislike the team that you're that you're going up against i tell you it'd be a whole lot of fun to to watch if it was going to be something like that i just don't think you'd have the animosity um between the players that you did 20 years ago i mean you think about it you watch some of the those those playoff games with with detroit and chicago i mean how many players would be left on the court for the pistons i mean they're shoving guys out of bounds they're throwing punches i mean these are these are flagrant fouls. They'd be ejected. There'd be nobody left. And these guys, I mean, these are common fouls in 1991. So it's just a completely different time, uh, Daniel. But, boy, I, I was actually thinking about that. It'd be a whole lot of fun to, to get that type of dislike. Um, I, I think you're going to have more dislike in a fan sense than you would the actual guys on the court disliking each other just because of the way it is nowadays. What do you think, Jim? Yeah,
0: I agree 100% with everything that Todd just said. And the one thing that I'll also add to that is that um, even though I think it's misleading when people act like in 2020 the players are buddies with each other, and that was never the case before, because as I think Joel referenced, um, Danny Ainge and Jordan were playing golf with each other between games of a playoff series. I do think that that's overstated because I think the players have – there always have been friendships. But I think one of the biggest differences, though, is that going coming into the NBA now, so, the players are so much more familiar with each other than they used to be. I mean, I think I've heard um, Lane Beer, maybe um, a couple other players from that era, reference how when they came into the NBA and, you know, he joined the Pistons or when I think earlier in his career he was with Cleveland, he didn't know the vast majority of the players because he hadn't played AAU. It wasn't as much of a developed thing back then it is as it is now. So I think the fact that there's all these pre existing relationships and so many connections, and I know you everyone on this on this call could could tell stories of how many times they've run into a combination of players and, and you're like, oh I had no idea that this guy played high school ball with him or he played AAU with him or he's tight with him because of so there's all these different background things that I think come into play that will prevent the likelihood of something like that ever happening again in NBA where you have this just utter despising of, of teams and players by each other. Joel, I'll
1: let you comment on it if you want, but I also want to change the subject real quick. And uh, we will obviously discuss more of this with uh, the new episodes coming out on Sunday, but kind of a final topic. I kind of want to touch on real quick, of course, is Dennis Rodman, he was focused on a lot in episode three, of course, um, with all the, you know, him being in Detroit, um, his, lifestyle in the nba and got traded to san antonio and then eventually with the bulls um joel do you think an nba player nowadays will get a would get a 48 hour go do what you want and then come back
2: ready to go
3: uh obviously he was way ahead of the curve because uh he was way ahead on load management so uh stories and I heard Eddie Johnson yesterday on SiriusXM NBA radio telling a story that was related to him where Dennis wasn't there at practice and they went over to his house and I don't remember whether it was Jack Haley or somebody else from that squad uh, but he was sitting in the middle of his his living room eating a bowl of cereal on the floor and they came back and told Phil he's fine don't worry about Dennis he's just not here so Dennis is a great story because he he's out of an NAIA school. He was 25 when he was drafted. Uh, a lot of people say that when he started with the Pistons, it was perfect. And then when Chuck left, Chuck Daly, of course, left, that then Dennis wasn't the same guy until he got to the Bulls where he was motivated once again. He was challenged once again, uh, but he was definitely different. There's no question about that, but he was he was a student and we found that out. He watched the ball of the release of certain guys. He watched film. Uh, Phil Jackson was really good at managing people. And I saw that firsthand because I was around Phil for a few years uh, and, and they call it the calm of Phil now because he was the Zen master. We know that as well but the way he managed people and communicated and had that really good one-on-one relationship with Dennis Rodman to say, okay, Dennis, here's 48 hours, even though he wasn't back in 48, of course, but here's 48 hours, get it out of your system. So there was a mutual trust between the two and a great line of communication. But I thought it was really interesting to watch that with Dennis Rodman uh, and his activity, his energy, and his passion for what he did I loved it. There were certain things in there, though. I, I do want, and you guys brought it up a little bit earlier, I hope they touch on with the dream team of 92. I was there in Barcelona and did the games on NBC Radio with Billy Packer. And the only guy that wasn't there, obviously, was Isaiah Thomas. But the late Chuck Daly was there as the head coach. And later this week, P.J. Carlissimo touches on it a little bit because P.J., uh, on our Pelicans.com conversation, was an assistant coach with Mike Krzyzewski and Lenny Wilkins on that staff. So there's a lot of things I'm looking forward to, uh, but I I appreciated watching the Dennis Rodman segments and then knowing Phil Jackson and how he can really communicate with people regardless. uh, And regardless of where their base is from and where they came from to begin with, because you saw Phil talk about it. His parents were Pentecostal ministers. He grew up in a household that did not have a television. So there's there's real good tributaries to this story, but I can't. I do want to see if they get into the dream team and the omission of Isaiah Thomas as well.
2: Yeah, guys, Bye. the Rodman going to the, the Rodman going to Vegas thing, Daniel, is something I completely forgot about, and the the only thing I could think of was, can you imagine that? I mean, obviously it wouldn't, but can you imagine that happening today? Uh, I mean, it would be. You talk about Twitter breaking. I think every social media outlet in the, in the history of mankind would would have broken if something like that would have happened, but obviously it it never would in, in today's uh, and, landscape. And camera phones would have camera phones would prevent that from
0: happening now in a player.
2: Exactly. Not
0: and a player being able to get away with it. Even if even if somehow the media was not alerted to, okay, this guy's going on a 48-hour bender to Vegas within 15 minutes of the player getting off the plane actually before the player even got off the plane there'd be people saying hey taking pictures and saying hey I'm on a flight with Dennis Rodman and here he is about to head to Vegas even though the Bulls have a game tomorrow night so that that's that would totally that's that's impossible in 2020 I think
3: so what you so what you're saying Jim is that Harvey Levin and TMZ would have a crew waiting for him at the gate
0: <laughs> and not just that but like I mean, the average person there'd be there'd probably be hundreds of pictures of Dennis Rodman on social media before he even got off the plane, or before he even got to his hotel, or did anything. That's just the way it is right now.
2: Well, the good news is, guys, it's, you know Daniel and I are on radio, and Jim uh, is a writer. Joel, you're on TV, so you're pretty much out for the broadcaster slash journalist uh, mini All Star break trip to Vegas. Not even all-star break.
1: <laughs> Jim's already done this. Jim's already done this this season. He's, he's taken two or three of these 48-hour trips to Vegas. I don't think people noticed it or not. I certainly have when he wasn't on the team plane.
0: But Jim's done this before. See, that's the that's the benefit of anonymity, that you, you can do stuff like that and no Correct. one really cares. So, so yeah. Good,
1: good stuff, guys. Guys, uh, I really appreciate the time here. We're going to have to do this again, episodes five and six, out this Sunday. We'll have two more podcasts this week as uh, we'll t- t- continue to talk basketball here, and hopefully we'll get back into basketball in a little bit, and I will hope to see you all very soon. Joel Myers, television voice of the Pelicans. Todd Graffinini, radio voice of the Pelicans. Of course, Jim, I can offer Pelicans.com writer. Guys, I really appreciated this, and uh, hope to see you all very, very soon.
2: Enjoyed it's it, guys. guys.
1: All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by Seeky As I mentioned, stay tuned. Two more episodes for this week. We'll have Jen Hale later on in the week talking about these Pelicans playbacks. And, of course, you never know who else will stop by. But I hope you have a great rest of your week. Um, try to go outside. It's been beautiful today. I know a little bit of rain tomorrow, but the rest of the week, week should be absolutely beautiful. Support your local businesses with some restaurants, and we'll talk to you later. Until tomorrow, I'm Daniel Sanderson Thanks for listening to the
3: Pelicans podcast presented by Seeky.